Y'all, we're going to continue our study in the life of Moses. <clears throat> we're going to start off in Proverbs. Then we're going to turn to Numbers chapter 11. But if you turn to Proverbs chapter 30, we're going to read a couple of scriptures there. I am really haven't said in, in, I've studied this and I'm prepared. I just don't know how far we're going to get tonight. I don't want to stretch it out and I don't want to cut it short. So we just let the Lord lead us tonight. But I'll, it's a really wonderful study tonight. We're going to start right here. Proverbs chapter 30, 7 through 9. Read that with me. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. I just thought that verse 8 when, when he says, uh, Don't give me poverty or riches. And to me, it has to do with contentment. It has to do with being satisfied in the Lord. Sometimes, y'all, and we're going to talk about this tonight, we're tested in both things. We're tested sometimes through, obviously we're tested through afflictions, right? The Bible says the Lord has chosen to refine Israel through the trials of affliction, through the fires of affliction. We have that all through the Scriptures, that the trials try us. And so adversity, we know, tries us. But also, prosperity can try us. When you, when you get, uh, like the Lord through, through Moses warned the children of Israel and said, when you get into the promised land you, and I've given it all to you, like I said, and it's a land flowing with milk and honey and you're eating vineyards that you didn't plant and living in houses you didn't build and, and so forth, that lest you become fat basically and lazy and forget it's the Lord that gave you all this. So there's a temptation. He says, don't give me poverty or riches. If I'm poor, I may be tempted to steal. And then I've sinned against God. If I'm rich, I might forget the Lord because I'm so comfortable at this point in my life. And so we're going to look at Moses. The man was meek. We're going to look at his meekness and his humility in both circumstances. Primarily tonight when... when uh, well, really, we have some good examples of both of them. We know, we know the story, and so just real quickly, y'all can turn to Numbers chapter 11, and we're going to read there in just a moment. Numbers chapter 11. But you can see, we know the adversities, because we've talked about the adversities about you know, being pursued by Egypt and Pharaoh and having no water and then no food and the complaining and murmuring of the people and so forth. But... And God strengthened Moses and the nation through all of these and delivered them. But also there was times of prolonged success. And we kind of touched on that last week. God took them from being a bunch of loosely uh, scattered slaves to being a nation with the law and a priesthood and a tabernacle. And we've talked that still being, you know, much of their law still being used today in, in so many things and brought forth you know, showed forth the coming of Christ. So we, we're going to talk now about some things that came into Moses' life and I want to highlight tonight and talk about his meekness. Meekness is not weakness, okay? The meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a working of God in our lives. So let's read. It's kind of an unusual account, but in Numbers chapter 11, we'll pick up in verse 24. And Moses went out, and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders. God was sending uh, 70 elders of the people to kind of lift some of the load. Remember, he had such a load of judging the people all the time. 
Uh, still, Moses was still that man, God's man, but he was giving him some helpers to lift some of the, the tasks and some of the load. And so it says, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took up the spirit that was upon him, upon Moses, and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. There's a, there's a better translation of that we're going to read in just a moment. Let's keep reading. But, but there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad and the name of the other Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. And they were of them that were written, but went not out unto the tabernacle. And they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of the young men answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto them, to him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. And he's got an exclamation mark at the end of that sentence. This is really something special. This is not found in every person. It's certainly not, it's not found in every Christian. It's not found in every leader. Okay, a Christian leader. It's a wonderful trait. This is why, one of the reasons why the Lord so, could so greatly use Moses is this meekness. And I want to point it out. So here's these 70 that the Lord had written, written their names or and chosen 70 by name. Okay? And, and they said, Moses, they're going to help you. They're going to lift some of this burden from you, the day-to-day -day burden. And even in the day-to-day -day burden, we need the Spirit of the Lord, amen, to serve God. And so here's, they're gathered around the tabernacle and 68 of them are there. We don't know the reason, but two of them that were chosen we're still back in the camp, okay? And so the Lord comes down in the cloud and speaks and says He takes up the Spirit of Moses and gave it to all of those men. Now, something interesting to know, it's just interesting, it's just the nature of the Lord and the nature of the, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God. The Lord could take of that Spirit from Moses and it not decrease in Moses. That's something that we need to know and understand. If... It was given to all the other men, and yet it did not diminish the Spirit in Moses in any sense at all. You know, on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, right? It doesn't take away from one. And it says He took of the Spirit, but it doesn't say He took from it like He decreased it. Now Moses has a considerably less amount of the Holy Spirit. I just think that's interesting to think about. We can't think of it just in terms of like water like we're drawing off this, this reservoir to, to irrigate the crops and, and the level of the, the, the reservoir is going down. It's not like that with the, the Lord's Spirit. It's more like a fire. Remember that when the Lord said in the book of Acts, Jesus said, uh, you receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That word power is miracle working power, supernatural, dunamis, but it also means power to reproduce itself. So it's not like one's having to to shrink up and shrivel up to nothing. It just keeps spreading and growing. And I just uh, wanted to point that out and highlight it. And when, when they received 
when these men received the Spirit, it was the Spirit of the Lord. That was, it wasn't Moses' Spirit. It was the Spirit that was upon Moses. Okay? And the, and the Lord took of it and put it on these other men as well. And it says, then they all began to prophesy. And it's also interesting that, that when the initial, one of the initial signs or the initial signs of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 was that they were all, when they were all baptized in the Holy Ghost in fire, that they all spake. They begin to speak. And, and it says uh, that they basically poured out into the streets and they weren't just jabbering, jibber-jabbering away. They were, the, the Bible says that the, the men that were in the city, this is on the day of Pentecost, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. That is one of the, the evidences and the signs, I guess you would say, or even the results of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, and these men were not baptized in the Holy Ghost, but it was the Holy Spirit upon them. We say that, saw the same thing in young Saul's life, but right before he was anointed to be king. And Saul began to prophesy. The, the Lord says, another heart's going to come in you, and I'm going to put the spirit of the prophets upon you. And Saul began to prophesy. I just think that that's interesting. So what happened was, we don't know why. The Bible doesn't give us any more details than this. There were 70 men by name chosen. The, the Spirit of the Lord came upon all 70. 68, either two men went with them and then returned to the camp or never went to the, to the tabernacle. But the 68, when it says, let's look back at this because the Revised Standard Version has a more literal translation. And I don't always look at different translations, but I think this is significant. When it says in verse 25 at the end of that verse, it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. It literally means they prophesied uh, and, and did not continue. That's actually what it means. It means they prophesied and afterwards they didn't anymore. That's what the translation means. They prophesied and, and basically that was it. Now, I'm not saying it was good or bad. I'm simply saying that it, the, the Revised Standard Version says they prophesied, but they did so no more. So initially they prophesied. That was like King Saul before he was king. He prophesied, but he didn't go on in his life to be a prophet. Okay, like David would became was really a prophet. All right? And so, so these prophesied initially for how long we don't know, and then they stopped. They did so no more. But still, they were equipped for whatever God equipped them to do. There are two men in the camp that continue to prophesy for a prolonged period of time. They continue to prophesy. And so this young man comes running and wants to tell Moses that these two men by name, he names them, Eldad and Medad, are in the camp and they are prophesying and basically they're continuing to prophesy. Well, obviously Joshua is right there by Moses and Joshua thinks this is almost like a, an insult to to Moses that, that these men are over there prophesying and you're really the, the prophet. You know what I mean? They're continuing to do so and you're the prophet. And he even says, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Now this, again, it's not sin so much on Joshua's part, but more of an immaturity. And Moses shows the maturity. Out of the two, he shows the maturity. And later, God would have Joshua be the leader. But, but I think it's interesting to learn from these little things. So he's saying, 
my Lord, forbid them. You go send somebody and stop those two guys from prophesying in the camp right now. And Moses is like, you don't get it. He didn't get it at least on this. He didn't get it. And what was his response? It was just amazing. Joshua said, Moses said, I'm sorry, verse 29, Moses said unto him, to Joshua, are you jealous basically for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit upon them. What an attitude. What, what a different way of thinking from most people and most ministers and most singers and worship leaders or, or whatever it may be that, that he was not concerned for his own... Like, it's basically like he's saying to Joshua, do you think I'm the only one that God can use? Hey, do you really think that? That I'm the only one that God can use? And he wanted him to see that. And he wants us all to see it from this passage of Scripture. And so he, it was almost like a, a, a noble thing that Joshua was wanting to do to defend Moses. But Moses saying, this is not something you have to defend me on. This is a good thing. He obviously did not send anyone to forbid them to do this. And he's basically just saying, again, do you think I'm the only one that can do this? Do you think that it takes away from me for these men to be used by God? And this is one of the main things I want to touch on tonight, however far we get. Like I said, just think about it for a little while. And I like the way F.B. Meyer said it. If it pleased God to create a whole bunch of new stars, do you think He'd have to rob the sun in order to do it? I like the way He put it. You know, the sun's still just as brilliant. It's not diminishing the sun at all. If he chooses to create a bunch of other brilliant, beautiful stars, he doesn't have to take away from the sun. The sun is not diminished in that at all. And uh, think about the benefits. Moses is thinking more along the lines of the glory it would bring to God. Would to God they were all prophets, okay? And also the benefit that would come to them personally. And every time that we're challenged with something from the Word of God or in a sermon, we're challenged uh, to go on with the Lord or, or have, have God do some work in our life, it's, it makes us stronger. It's a benefit to us and it's, it brings glory to the Lord. And so, uh, there's, when, whenever, whenever our heart, I guess you would say, is single in its purpose. In other words, we really, really, really just want God to be glorified through our lives. That could be our attitude like Moses. But if we always are talking about it, but inwardly we're really not that, we're talking about, oh, I'm so glad God's using so-and-so, but inwardly we're really jealous. Don't think that Christians can't be jealous. Don't think that ministers of the Gospel uh, can't be jealous. Uh, that we, all we have, and we, we see in Moses' life, he had an intense desire for God's will to be done. And for God to receive the glory for it. Amen? He, he didn't care if God made him something or nothing. If He makes a lot out of my life or nothing out of my life. I just want the Lord to be glorified. And so we would have to examine our own hearts and ask our questions. Can I pray as hard for so-and-so's Sunday school lesson that they're going to teach as when I'm teaching? You know what I mean? Can I pray as hard for uh, God to use them to win souls 
as, as I pray He'll use me to win souls. We should be able to do that. I'm not saying that I've arrived. I'm saying that's a godly trait. It's a godly... And you can't snap your fingers and make it happen, but it can happen. It can happen by the working of the Lord. A few of us could answer that and say, yes, honestly, I pray as hard for so-and-so as for myself. Uh, because a lot of times, if we don't watch it, even in ministry, could be that case for my life, okay? Your, your life and however you serve, it could be where we're really serving God and ourselves a little bit. But it needs to be serving the Lord. Then those other things won't bother us like that. They won't bother us if somebody else gets... Uh, people come up to them after they sing their solo and they got a lot of people telling how blessed they were by their singing and you just got through singing 10 solos and nobody, nobody came up to you and tell you that you, they were blessed by yours. Uh, if we're really doing it for God, we're okay with that. Really, really okay with that in our heart of hearts. And so, would to God that... All of the Lord's people were prophets. You know what I mean? That, that's really what he's saying. And that, that can take place when, again, when we desire Him to be glorified. There's a scripture that says when He comes to be glorified in His saints and admired in all them that believe. That He'll be glorified in His saints and admired in all them that believe. That, that only, and we're about to move on, but that is only going to come out of that secret place of you and the Lord. It's not just going to come from this sermon. It's going to come from what I take from this sermon and me getting with God and saying, is that present in my life? Is there some of that jealousy or envy? Even the least little bit, God, please, I know it's not of you. I bring it to the cross. I bring it under the blood. And I'm asking you to take it from me. That I would genuinely rejoice when God uses someone else. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves. And so I want to move on to the next, uh, the next test. In that, what did we see? We saw meekness, right? We saw meekness among other things. You might think of some other wonderful things from that. We're going to see meekness again. And let's look at Numbers. We're going to turn to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, we're going to read a good bit, 1 through 10, because this is the whole account, and then I won't have to go back and really explain the account so much. Numbers 12, 1 through 10. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Has he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. It says, and the Lord heard it. I'm sorry. And now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Arian and unto Miriam. Come out ye three, ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar, the pillar of cloud, and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, hear now my words among you. Hear now my words. Is there, if there be a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. But my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him I will speak mouth to mouth 
even apparently, and not in dark speeches. In the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore, then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and she, and behold, she was leprous. We've heard that story, right? We know that account. It's very interesting. We saw Miriam as a young girl way back in Egypt. She was the one watching when baby Moses was in the little basket they made out of the reeds. And, and they were trying to spare his life from, from Pharaoh, taking his life and put him in the basket to see what the Lord would do. She was watching. Miriam's the one that uh, was leading the women, praising God when they crossed over the, the uh, Red Sea. And it's, it's not that she was just all horrible. But there was obviously something in her that came out that was not in Moses at this time. Okay? There was something in, in Aaron and, and, she, and, and Miriam both. And she was actually the first one. She's mentioned first. This is like a rebellion. It says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses. They, to me, it's, an ex, it's more like an excuse. They spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman um, whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian. So I was studying this. And I never thought that much about it. Okay? But the Ethiopian woman, we don't read that he married another woman besides his, besides his first wife. The Bible never tells us that. His first wife was named Zipporah. He didn't marry another woman, I don't believe. And he didn't just go marry somebody he shouldn't have married. It, it looks like he married a descendant of Abraham through Keturah. So I think this was simply an excuse. To me, it looks like an excuse for them to vent something that was really in their hearts. Because they're not, they say that they spoke in verse 1, Miriam and Aaron, Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. And then verse 2, and they said, hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? So it sounds like there's something more than just they're upset about the woman he married. It was, it was what triggered it, maybe. It was what, when they had an occasion, they used that almost an, as an excuse. But there was something in their hearts saying, does God only use Moses? He can't speak through other people? Well, we just saw Moses, the meekness, saying, I wish there were all prophets. I wish God had taken of His Spirit and poured it on everyone in the camp. They would all be blessed by it and God would be glorified by it. But this was not the same attitude in their hearts. They used as an excuse, as an uh, a complaint to come to him, you know, like a, a axe to grind with him about this woman that he married. But it quickly turns to, I believe, what was the true cause was that they were more jealous or envious. Does God always speak through Moses? Doesn't he speak through all of us? And God deals with that really quick, doesn't he? I mean, we read about it. It didn't go on and on for days and weeks and, and months. The Lord dealt with it right away. And so. How did Moses act? This is what we're going to talk about and what we're going to carry on through to the end tonight. How did Moses act? Remember when he was young, when he was about 40 years old, or 40 years old, when he had, was still living in Egypt, and he went about to see how his brothers were doing when they were slaves. Remember way back when? And he saw an Ethiopian, I mean, an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of, one of the, uh, the Hebrew slaves. And he looked left and right. Nobody was looking and he killed him. 
So there was this anger. Maybe he thought it was a righteous anger, but he killed this man for doing that. How is he now? What's he like now? What's his life like now? What's in him when he's insulted like this? When he is attacked like this? Did he pour out his wrath upon them? Did he say, I'm fully justified in doing this? I want us to really lay hold on, on some of this because this is, what, this is what we could do. We could strike out and we could strike out with Scriptures. We could strike out with don't touch God's anointed. We could strike out with a lot of different things that seem very biblical or spiritual. And yet, they weren't. We could say, I'm fully justified in doing this. But there's something way better than that. And that is this meekness. Did he call on God to strike them dead? Did he say, all right, Aaron and uh, Miriam, you know, there's the door. Head on out. Find you some other group to hook up with. He didn't do any of that. He didn't answer a word. He didn't have a chance to say anything. He didn't answer a word. The Bible says the man, Moses, was very meek above all men which are upon the face of the earth. And it reminds us of, of someone, doesn't it? It reminds us of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and we know the Scripture, when He was reviled, He did what? He reviled right back. No, when He was reviled, He reviled not again. That is... That only comes from the Lord. We talk about it often. I preach sermons on it because we need it. I need it. But, uh, you know, Moses, you've been disrespected. You know what I mean? Get, put them in their place, basically. You are that man. There's no doubt. You're the one that God's called and chosen. Put them in their place. And some people would say that he acted in a weakness. I would think most people in our day and age would think that's a weakness. I mean, you walk around in life and someone disrespects you, you put them in their place, right? Physically, or maybe you're their boss and you can put them in their place or, or whatever. Put them in their place. But it was not a weakness at all. In fact, it was as an exhibition or an example of the absolute monumental strength. Because if it's not the Lord, you could not do that. You could not be that way. And it's, it's not being even a pacifist. It's being meek. And there's a difference. It's not a weakness. It's, it's a, a strength. And it was, it was this a weak man, basically, that would try to get down on that level and go blow for blow. They said this to me. I'm doing this to them. They did that to me. I'm doing that to them. It's a weak man that gets down on that level. Amen. It's the strength of the Lord to cause us to, to let God handle it and, and to be strong in the Lord. That meekness is not a weakness. It's a weak man who blurts out his mouth, the first thing that comes to his mind, which is probably not good. But it's a weak man who cannot control his temper and lets it loose. That's a weakness. That's not a strength. It's not a strength at all. And we've all are learning that. 
We're all learning that, okay? But it's only the strong man that can perfectly can be perfectly still when and and actually let that that be turned into love for that person. And that's really taking it too far almost, isn't it? But it, that's really what the Lord does. We saw it with Stephen when he was being stoned. Forgive them. Don't lay this sin to their charge. That's just like Jesus. They're, they're cursing the Son of God on the cross. He's dying for them. And He's saying, forgive them, Lord. So it's not just He grinned and bared it and didn't say anything. It's actually turned back around and comes back out of Him as love back to them. Now you tell me which is stronger out of those two. God help us. You know what I mean? Lord help me. Uh, there's nothing better when we're, when we're going through something like that. When we're attacked, and we are attacked at times. Okay? Unjustly. Unfairly. By people we love. By people we've sacrificed for. It happens. It happened to the Lord for sure. It happens to us. What we need to do is turn to the Lord. The Lord says, take my yoke and learn of me specifically for I am meek and lowly in heart. We have to turn to the Lord instantly because the first thing that would come out of us would be something out of us. It wouldn't be the Lord. Even if you bite your lip till it bleeds. But for the Lord to turn that around to, to really be Take my yoke and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. There's a rest in that. There's a rest in being meek. It's not a weakness. It's not a pacifist. It's not a, that we're scared of our own shadow and can't stand up for ourselves. It's that we're choosing to be meek and let the Lord be Christ-like and let Him respond in love. That's a far greater strength. Amen? And so we can basically claim it. It's ours in the Lord. That is a fruit of the Spirit. To claim it. When I'm claiming your meekness right now. In this situation, it might last a lot longer than this one did. I'm, I'm giving it to you. Okay? And so, one of the other things we need to do is, is what Moses did. He says he didn't answer a word. Cultivate, I guess you would say, the practice of being silent. This goes with, with, with the other, but it's not exactly the same thing. So oftentimes, we, we, again, we blurt out. We think we have to fix it with our words. And we don't always have to fix it with our words. Usually we cannot fix it with our words. All right? And so to, to really be still, some people think that, well, when you're, if you went to a, a counselor or a psychologist, just in the worldly sense, they might tell you, oh, whatever you feel, just blurt it out. If you feel mad, just scream and go punch this puncher bag. Let it all out. You hate your mother, you know, scream it out as loud as you can. And go do and that's really not at all biblical. One of the things we, when we when we speak it, and I'm not one of these name it, claim it at all, but I do think there is something to when we speak it, it doesn't quench the fire if we're mad. And we just let words fly out of our mouth. It doesn't go away. It sometimes can just lead to actions. It can, you know, you ever seen a mob and they, they start chanting something or they get mad about something or upset about something or led by a leader chanting, getting really angry and they start screaming it and shouting it until it boils over and they actually take action on it and storm the embassy or whatever. Um, 
It doesn't just go away. It's better sometimes just to be quiet and, and give it to the Lord. Don't give voice to everything you think. I don't think that's the wisest thing at all. Bring your, your, your hurts to God. Bring your pain to the Lord. Bring your confusion to the Lord. But I don't believe we just have to blurt out uh, at the top of our lungs everything that comes to our minds. I want us to read this real quickly. Turn with me to James. We just have a couple more scriptures. James uh, chapter 3. We know the passage. I know the ladies did a Bible study through the book of James. We're going to kind of skip around. Let's start in verse 2. James 3, 2. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is perfect is a perfect man, a mature, and able also to bridle the whole body. So he's saying there's something important here that if we can bridle our tongues, then then we're really more mature and we're able to bridle the whole body, he says, if we can control the tongue. If we're not controlling the tongue, chances are we're not controlling the rest of our lives. Okay, our actions or reactions and things like that. Skip down to verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. One more verse, verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It doesn't have to be. We already talked about the, those that were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spake and glorified God. The wonderful works of God. So to me, it's a question of being governed by the Holy Spirit and not just, oh, just let it out. It does good to just let it out sometimes. And, and really, the same here, control yourself. Control your tongue. I tell you what, I, I've, I've said things way too many times in my life that I wish I could take back and I cannot. I can apologize for them, but I can't really reel them back in. It was spoken. I did say it. You know what I'm saying? I said it. I said it was hurtful. It was mean. And I could say, I'm sorry I was so mean. And God can fix everything, but it still was done. I can't reel it back in. And so isn't it far better to... to have the Lord govern us and yield. We have to yield to the Lord to be silent. This is what Moses did. And look what happens when he did. Because the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. He was still. He was quiet. He didn't turn on them the way they turned on him. He was still and the Lord took care of it. Amen. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. James 1.9. I'm going to read it again. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Those last two things go together. The speaking and the wrath. And so, what happened? So what's going on with Miriam? Well, she didn't get away with it, so to speak. She turned. She was turned up. Uh, covered with leprosy just instantly. That was a miracle. It was a judgment, but it was a, mir a miraculous judgment. Instantly, Aaron's looking at her and she's covered with leprosy. God's Spirit, we can't think there's no consequences from this either. God's Spirit instantly 
left the tabernacle. Doesn't mean it never came back or anything like that, but it was as though the Lord was given disapproval to what was going on there. His spirit left the tabernacle. And so uh, she, didn't, she didn't get away with it. She turned to leprosy. And what, what, does, uh, what does Moses do that we should do? He's an intercessor. We don't have time to read it all, but he says, Lord, please touch her. I'm just giving, giving the synopsis. You could read it back in Numbers chapter uh, 12, 11 through 16. Here, heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. Now, what happens when we do that? First of all, it's a Christ-like thing. God's already pleased with that. We want God to be pleased with us, right? He's already pleased with that. So he's praying for his enemy, so to speak. That's, that's his sister, but you understand what I mean. He's praying for those that despitefully use and persecute him and speak all manner of evil against him falsely. He's praying for that one. And you can tell it's genuine. Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. He's crying to the Lord. So what happens? Not only does the Lord answer his prayer and heal her, but that, that is doing something in Moses' heart. There is something to it for the one who prays. It turns whatever might have been. When we begin to pray for our enemies, something wonderful happens in our hearts. It's not that we're excusing them and that we're letting them off the hook. God will deal with it if it's sin, okay? Like He did with, with Miriam. But the point is we can, we can forgive them even if they're not asking for forgiveness. We can pray for God's blessing. He prayed for, prayed for her healing right here. What happens in that case? It, it, and sometimes it might just be sheer obedience where we know it's the thing to do. I know I'm supposed to pray for my enemy. So here I go. Pray for my enemy. It can start out that way, but God, we'll find that God will begin to soften our heart even in that and our attitude towards our enemy begins to change and he gives us that love like Stephen or like the Lord on the cross. Okay? That, that really is an amazing thing. Don't wait till you feel inspiration. That's just, this is very important too. I know I've always shared it when, uh, you know, not getting too personal, but when, when I was in high school and, and my father left, uh, he never said, would you forgive me? He never did that. And the Lord showed me somewhere along the line when I really committed a life fully to Christ, you need to forgive Him. You need to forgive Him. Well, He hasn't asked for my forgiveness. He's not come back saying He's sorry. He's not been repentant. No, you need to forgive Him. I'll deal with Him. And I did. I really did. You don't wait for a feeling. You, you do it in, in obedience to Christ. If we don't forgive those that have offended us, our tres the trespass against us, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. That's, you know, I'm not making that up. It's in Matthew 6. Okay, so we forgive. And what happens in the Lord can, when we do that and begin to pray for people that have hurt us, He begins to change our hearts. He does something in me. To where he gives me a love for them. Yes. And whatever bitterness I had, or that felt like this separation, or I don't want them in my life, that's too painful, or whatever, he gives me a love 
for them, even if they're physically a million miles away. And I will say this, not long, uh, Dee and I got to leave my dad to the Lord about a year and a half before he died. And he was at our house. We used to bring him over to eat supper once about Christmas time and, and uh, cook for him and everything. And he, he's basically, not in so many words, but in his best way he could, asked me to forgive him. And, and even said something in front of William and Peter. It was, it was the Lord. But I had forgiven him long, long before that. And it's only the glory of God that we can do that. But when we begin to pray for those, He is able to change our hearts. It's not just grit your teeth and do it. We do it because we're supposed to, but then in the process, God helps us. And changes our heart. I'm close with this. And we've already talked about it. What do we see in Moses? This meekness, this silence. Okay? Look, it does not mean we never open our mouth and speak. Jesus did say some words before Pilate. You understand what I'm saying? He, uh, Paul did speak before Agrippa and, and some of these, but he didn't feel the need every waking moment to whoever would listen to vindicate himself. There were times the Holy Ghost would lead him to speak, and he would speak and it glorified God. There was times he was quiet. He, he went all the way and had his head chopped off, okay? But in all, when he did speak, in honor of the Lord. There's times God would have us to speak and there's times He would have us to be quiet. But the best bet, the best practice is always to be quiet and to defer to the Lord and yield to God and say, Lord, You handle it. You, If You want me to speak, then give me the words. But otherwise, I'm being governed by Your Spirit. I'm not going to let the first words that pop to my mind come out of my mouth. And I'm, I'm going to trust You. It's always better. 100% of the time, that's better. I promise you. I haven't always done that. But that is the best. Let God vindicate us. Moses turned to the Lord. And the Lord heard all that was said. And we read it. And spake suddenly to the three. Remember? The Lord heard all that was said. And before Moses could say anything, God heard and He began to deal with them. Bam! You three come out here. Now, Miriam and Aaron, you step out here. <laughs> he dealt with it, okay? Way better. Way better. And so, he says, Moses is my friend. I speak to him face to face. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses? Wow. Isn't that way better than saying, I'm the servant of the Lord. He speaks through me. You better listen to me. He chose me. Isn't it way better when Moses is being meek and standing by in fear and awe of the Lord as well, and God is dealing with these two over here, why weren't you afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Wow, that's a whole lot better, isn't it? That's a whole lot more powerful and lasting, and that's a lesson Miriam's not going to forget. Rather than just arguing with her brother over something and him letting her have it. This is so much better. God is always, He knows how, to justify. Amen? To rest in the Lord. When Hezekiah... We're closing. I'll turn to 1 Peter 2.23. When Hezekiah received a letter from Sennacherib that the Assyrians were attacking and they blasphemed the Lord and, and we're coming in and your God's no stronger than any other gods of these nations that we've attacked. It says uh, Hezekiah read the letter 
He didn't run to his elders or his, his captains and his generals and, and try to get a plan. He went to the temple of the Lord and spread that letter out and said, here it is, God. They blasphemed you, God, and your people. And they intend to come in here and stomp on us and destroy us like they did all those other pagan nations around. And he's blasphemed you and said, you're no better than the gods of those nations. He takes it to the Lord. The Bible says he rested in that. And he, when he had this confidence from the Lord, and he went and spoke to the people afterwards, and the people rested because in the faith of, of their king, basically, trusting in God. He says, with them's the arm of the flesh, with us is the Lord mighty to save. But he, he didn't strike back. He just totally let God handle it. If God showed him something to do, you know, or used something to do, then we do that. But trust in the Lord. We'll close with this first. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 21-23. Indeed, you can come on up if you would. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in His steps. Who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself unto him that judges righteously. And I just pray we would learn from this. From this meekness. Moses was no different than you or me. He is a human being, just like we are. But he learned something very valuable, didn't he? And he practiced it. And we get to see in living color a wonderful example right here of that. On these two occasions, and I would say oath to God that we would be that way and have that meekness. The Lord wants us to be that way. So, Father, we just come before you, and y'all, whoever wants to get at these altars and let the Lord deal with your heart or pray to God that He would work this in your heart, please come. But, Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. And, God, we, we're so far from where we need to be. But Lord, you can make up that gap. You can, you, can, you can bring us to where we need to be by the working of your Spirit. How many times have I spoken something out of my flesh? I'm talking about as a believer. And it was hurtful. And it didn't help anything. It made things worse. I pray God you'd forgive me. Forgive me for times I've held a grudge. I have not prayed for my enemies. I have not prayed for those that persecute me and despitefully use me. And I pray that you would help us as a people and individually and as a church, God, to be meek and to turn any kind of anger like that, let it come back out of us in prayer and intercession for our enemies. And you would turn our hearts to, to where we could really truly forgive from our hearts, Lord. And this would be our practice, not just a one-time thing every now and then, but it would be our practice, God. When we're reviled, we don't revile again. When we want to say something, God, that we be governed by the Holy Ghost and not say anything that's not of you in anger. And then we would always rest in you. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Help us like our Lord to commit ourselves to Him who judges righteously. We commit ourselves to the good judge. We pray you'd work this in our hearts and lives as a permanent trait is a permanent characteristic in our lives, God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.